Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Luis Lopez, the Education Department's Chief Information Officer. Luis, uh, thanks so much for taking the time. It's great to catch up. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. We are catching up today specifically because you all at the Education Department uh, had some really great news of, of, from the latest FATARA scorecard, the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act. You all were one of the three agencies that actually got an A. So first of all, Luis, uh, congratulations there. Let's talk a little bit about that. Were you surprised by that score? Did you expect it? Give me a little bit of the uh, initial reaction. No, sure. That, that's a good question. And I've actually thought about that. I mean, I've been in this role now. Uh, it'll be 11 months tomorrow as a CIO, but I've been here at the department for about six and a half years. So I've been part of this process with a uh, you know, Jason Gray, when he was a CIO for, for six years, roughly. So I got to really kind of learn the ins and outs of FATARA. I mean, if you kind of look back at, you know, the 16 iterations of FATARA across government since June of 2017 was the last C at the department or lower than that. Since then, I think we've gotten eight, I'm sorry, eight B's and one A in December 2019. So this year being at the status quo at a B, the team has done a great job. The leadership team in CIO We've been together for quite some time. Uh, Walter McDonald leads that area with the CPIC team. And so they understand the ins and outs of FATAR. They, they know what it means. Um, they understand how it works. Uh, more importantly, they know how to get the word out and ensure that we execute. So I wasn't too concerned about dropping. Um, I knew that we'd stay right around that B area, but I knew that there were some areas that we had to improve on. And that was kind of getting our cybersecurity score up a little bit from last time. I do know that in the FISMA space, you know, we, we had this year, the best score we ever had the department. So I knew that was going to be a contributing factor to raise an RB into an A. And the last or another second piece was really getting off the network's contract vehicle. And, and once we completed that, you know, I felt we were very, very close to getting into that A space. And then on top of that, you know, just getting the word out, as I mentioned, our leadership has been wonderful in supporting that. Um, our CXO community is very engaged in all our governance boards uh, to buy in that necessary conceded effort to, to improve our scores and just having that transparency of our portfolio, understanding not just the transparency and performance improvement initiatives, but how does that translate into the result that people care about? You know, where's the so what? And I think that through the communications that I've had with the deputy secretary on a consistent basis, the secretary, the assistant secretaries, and as I mentioned, our governance boards, the so what is, is coming even more and more clear. And while we have painted this fence and our fence looks great and we've got an A on it, we do know that we're going to have to repaint that that uh, that fence right again because, you know, the new iteration will be coming out. But uh, to answer your question, I wasn't say I was surprised, but certainly very honored and very happy. Uh, there's a lot of uh, excitement going across the department on this score. Um, in many forums, I've explained the, that this is not just an OCIO effort. I mean, this is something that you know, while we may footstop this the execution of all the principal offices and their engagement has been refreshing and it's wonderful. And it's, it really shows you that, you know, the foundation that was built there by mentioned by Walter and Stephen as our sizzle with cybersecurity and by Jason, you know, kind of getting us to this solid place as well when he was CIO. I think we have a very, very good place to continue to improve on. And I'm pretty confident that we'll, we'll do that. So very happy, uh, not surprised necessarily, but, um, but certainly humbled. I love the fact you brought up this idea of so what, and we're, that's where we're going to spend most of our time. But before we do that, of course, I have to ask, you talked about you need to get your cyber score up, the FISMA space, best you've ever had. What was the contributing factor to FISMA? What did you do to say, okay, 
we are doing X. How do we get to X plus one? What were some of those changes? You know, all the different domains that we've had, you know, with the audit with IG and we have a great uh, working relationship there. And, and for us, it's not about, you know, working with the auditor on the gotchas. It's really like the goal of every audit is for us to have a full concurrence with their findings, right? You know, where, where they say we're lacking, we want to be able to say that, hey, we agree with you. And, and I think that we're getting to a much better place there with auditor where we understand that. Now, the other piece that I think about from the FISMA standpoint is not just kind of measuring risk in our space. We've always been great about that, but also maturing our processes, right? You know, whether it's uh, something as fundamental as account management or vulnerability management, all those things throughout the last several years has become more of a, a cultural thing where it's not a, a react, it's more of a, we're getting ahead of it. And, and I'll, I'll kind of use our CISO's um, phrasing here, but we want to get more to the left of boom, right? The right of boom is the, the reactive sort of the boom's already occurred. Uh, now we're responding. We're trying to get our things back in place, but, you know, we do know that, you know, the bad guys are out there and they're constantly coming. And so we're getting not only our systems in place uh, in, in, in a better sort of recurring mode, but also our staff, our you know, day-to-day customers, you know, them being able to catch the fish. And we do these exercises quite a bit just to see how we're doing. And it's not just about, oh, you know, I deleted the email because I knew it was a fish, but it was like, hey, no, did I report it? Or if you caught it, unfortunately, or, you know, you got, you got uh, caught by it, at least report it because that way we can then inoculate the, you know, wherever that, that harm may be. So I think just the collective sort of effort has been wonderful. In October, we had the National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and we had a symposium at our at our place. And throughout the the Thursdays of every week of October, we had several speakers come in, uh, several training sessions. You know, the one things that I talked about was just the basic blocking and tackling. If you get a a patch on your machine, what do you do about it? It used to be this, oh, I don't feel like rebooting my machine right now. I'm working. So we've kind of been able to explain once again the so what as to why this is important, how it keeps us safe. And then in certain ways, now that we've implemented a good portion of our ZTA effort, the customer's seeing that that's so what is a better customer experience. And so I think collectively there, you know, we have a very good team and just getting the word out has been, has been wonderful. And, and then again, the senior leadership, when we report these metrics to everybody, they're very interested. You know, every month when we report to them and say, here's what the metrics look like for your area. Here's your scorecard for your system. Here are your phishing metrics. But they're very interested to be to, to be the winner that year, right? So it's a competitive thing that's become a fun thing, but it results in a more secure space and a, a smaller uh, attack service for the bad guys out there that are trying to get into our network. And with that said, you know, one thing that we always articulate is why do we want to protect our space? You know, what's so important and that people care about? Well, education and health uh, industries are the places where people are going next to attack. And so we know we have to stay diligent and keeping our, our guard up because, you know, there's a lot of things that they're coming after. And we host a third of the nation's PII in our systems. And so we have to be very mindful every day about the decisions we make in the virtual world. Luis, I appreciate the, the heads up about the way the culture change that happened across the education department. A lot of cyber, we know you can put the best tools in there, but if your culture does not appreciate the need for cybersecurity, uh, the tools won't matter as much. The other piece I just want to jump over to before we jump into the so what side of it is the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions, the EIS contract. A lot of agencies are struggling with that transition. Where are you with it? It sounds like you are either a 100% or very close to 100%. And what does this mean that you have transitioned to EIS? Yeah, we completed the EIS transition earlier this spring. And there were two kind of components to that that were sort of challenging, right? Because there's a lot of agencies going through this, you know, a lot of the same vendors are supporting them. So there is that 
sort of resource constraint uh, that t- that's taken into consideration. So there's a technical piece, right? Getting the, the technical portions done and completed. If you stay with a certain contract, it may become a little easy- easier. If you're transitioning from one vendor to another, which we had to do to a certain degree, it's not easy. I mean, you're having to redirect years and years of network configurations to a different colo or MTIPS and things like that. So there's a lot of disruption. And we did face some of that at the very beginning where things were moved and all of a sudden, you know, there was some degradation. Um, so you got to go back and try to figure out, you know, do we have a whole bunch of spaghetti that we have to get through to figure it out? And then it becomes even more important as you have this hybrid experience, because what you don't want to do is impact the folks that are in the building or the folks that are virtual. So it's something that has to be very carefully done. It's got to have folks that are, are ready available after hours in most cases, because you certainly don't want to dis- disrupt during working hours. And there's so many different components to it, right? There is the backend work. So the, the true network backbone, if you will. And then, then you have, you know, how is it impacting certain systems? How is it impacting your collaboration tools? And now that you've seen over the course of, you know, the, the you know, pre-pandemic, pandemic, and, you know, if you want to call it post-pandemic now, or whatever the phrasing may be, or you want to use, um, for us, and I'll give you an example, before the pandemic, we were averaging about 60,000 calls a month um, in our environment on Skype slash Teams. doesn't sound like a lot, or it may sound like a lot, but you know, for 4,000 people, that was coming out to be about one call per person per day. So it's a very nominal use of that collaboration tool. Now we're averaging 800,000 calls a month on Teams, and it's folks using it for video. It's using it for you know, slide desk sharing. It's doing it for all kinds of, of different uh, capabilities that were not really leveraged back then, right? So, you know, making sure that transition occurs, I think it's part of the, the the challenge that folks are having because the moment you're moving, you know, now now what are you disrupting? Uh, so there's a lot of lessons learned that we have and I've shared it with other agencies because we've had those conversations and, and and I think the larger your organization is, the, the, the more difficult it can get. Then there's the administrative piece, right? Getting the billing to be done. You know, sometimes it may take two to three months before that vendor is able to complete that billing to get you off of EIS. So, you know, and, and where are certain things? So there, there's different things that are contribute to EIS. I think we're finally in a, in a place where we've improved. And if anything, we've actually introduced more capabilities. In the past, you know, for anyone that needed a, a mobile phone to be remote, you know, we're, we were paying a certain amount for an iPhone. Now get the capability through EIS, we're, we're providing an alternative is, do you want a soft phone? Well, what is a soft phone? It's like, well, do you really need to be away from your computer throughout the day to be able to call because you don't want to use your personal phone? Well, now the soft phone allows you to have a dedicated phone number to your laptop so you can, you know, communicate with external stakeholders. They can call you directly. You know, we've introduced uh, more video teleconferences to our environment. I think it's probably about 65 that we've uh, installed across our, our entire enterprise, which gives us the ability to use different collaboration tools, whether it's Teams or Zoom or WebEx, what have you. So folks are engaging and really sort of uh, embracing what EIS has brought. We've also installed, uh, we used to only have guest Wi-Fi for anyone that was a guest in the building at our DC buildings and two of our regional buildings out of 17. Uh, now we have guest Wi-Fi at all of our buildings, and we also have government Wi-Fi in our buildings, and all by doing cost savings and avoidance on top of that. So, you know, this is where Fatara sort of comes to mind with the EIS. It's like we're modernizing our technology. We're getting our portfolio better, but we're also reducing our costs, which allows us to either, A, you know, redirect those dollars for something else that's also important to the department, or make just make sure that we're being good stewards of taxpayer dollars. But to your original question of EIS, 
it is a challenge. It's, it's not easy, which is why I think we're, you know, with EIS for the next 11 to 12 years. Um, so it's a large contract through through that vehicle, but it's also given us a lot of flexibility to, to modernize for our customer uh, base. Really appreciate you sharing that story. I think EIS has gotten a, a rough go over the last uh, couple of years. We saw a bunch of agencies needing extra, extra time. So uh, it's good to hear that not all of them, you, you as the example, uh, you, you cross that finish line. Do you have a sense of how much money you're saving at all? Or, or is it is it not necessarily true savings? It's the, we got rid of old, we got on to new, the cost may be the same, but we're getting 10%, 20%, 80% more services or better services or new services than we got under the old old one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll even throw the number out there, which which is fine. I mean, but it, it's it's somewhere in the ballpark of three to four mil a year that we're saving, and and over the course of the life of the of the contract, we're looking at thirty six to forty eight million dollars that we're looking to save. So it's it's a it's a big uh, piece. Now, with that said, we know that that would that would mean that we stay status quo in most cases, right? We go from like to like. We know that we're going to use possibly some of that to um, to modernize, but also we're also looking at sunset, you know, prior you know, technologies, but it is a good cost savings. You know, I always, you know, my staff are always like, don't, don't say that number just said, cause we may not get there, but, but that is the goal. And that's what we projected to save. And it's, it's a great story uh, from an EIS perspective. I know it's been a challenge for, for many agencies, but, you know, once you get across that finish line, uh, which is not easy, uh, it's a lot of hard work and very long days and nights, uh, but it, it is, it is the juiciest worth the squeeze there. I think so many agencies are, are looking for that hope that, that they can modernize, save money, get better services. And I think GSA, that's really where GSA is hung their hat on EIS. Luis, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest today is Luis Lopez, the Education Department's Chief Information Officer. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Luis Lopez, the Education Department's Chief Information Officer. Luis, you mentioned cyber, you mentioned EIS around FITAR. Let's talk more broadly because FITAR is not just about checking the boxes and getting compliance. I think from a from an operational perspective, from a governance perspective, the A in FATAR really means much more than than just the the letter grade. So talk about what has changed within the education department around governing, operationalizing technology because of the progress and the efforts around FATAR. You know the the word FATARA, for some people they look you look at them or tell them that word and they just look at you very you know, with this blank stare, like, what is Fatar? And I can tell you, even when I first got to the Department of Education, coming from a lower echelon organization, the DOD, you know, I didn't know what FISMA Fatara meant and why it was important to the department or why it was important to government or why it was important to the American public. It just, it, 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 didn't, it didn't really connect for me. And so as I've gotten here, I've realized that, you know, what the importance is and, you know, from an operational standpoint, I've set up this customer uh, advisory council about three months ago. And the idea there is to further get the word of Fatara out. What does that mean, right? And I try to use the best analogy I can come up with, so bear with me if this is not a great one. But, you know, you, you think of these grades, and if you live in a community of, of houses, and, you know, every year they go and grade you on who's got the nicest house and the nicest lawn, um, you know, you want to get the one of the best awards. But, you know, why is that important? Well, when you think about what you're being graded on, right, you're, are you just being graded on the optics? Hey, you check that box, you you mowed your lawn, uh, you have nice flowers, that's it. No, there's more to it, right? They're going to come in and look at what are your windows like? Are they safe? Are they providing the best sort of environmentals for your house? So you're saving energy. Are you buying furniture that that's really, you know, way expensive, but but really if you, if you if you come together as a community, you can get more buying power and get savings if you buy, you know, insured services type of concept. 
you know, do you have a good security system or do you just buy the latest and greatest? Because a lot of times you want to buy the latest and greatest, but is that really the right decision? Are there holes? Are there security holes in that, in that system? But did you buy something that we know works uh, that gets us to a good place? Um, we save money um, and we're still making it look better. So the idea that you have a nice house optically, when you check that box, there's a lot more to it. I look at that even within my own family. If I give my daughter my wife wants to go buy, you know, something new. I want to buy the new TV. I'm like, can we re- redirect those dollars to something better that we need in the house? Maybe we need a new kitchen or maybe we need a new microwave. So when we explain that in such a way to some of the senior executives in this senior and this uh, customer advisory council, they start seeing that picture. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, maybe I don't want to go buy this new tool for this this uh, uh, system that I want because maybe I can leverage something in the portfolio that we already have. Or B, yes, let's go buy this new uh, solution and let's maybe sunset something else. So everyone becomes more mindful of not just cost savings and avoidance, but is this really the best for our environment? And then, you know, how does that translate to the modernization efforts? You know, when we go back and articulate this to the staff across the board, you know, they understand that there is a governance process for a reason, that there is an IT sprawl going across the board and everyone gets their own solution. Because I can tell you several years ago, that's sort of what happened. It was we need collaboration tools. Well, I want Zoom. Well, I want uh, Google Suite. Well, I want Teams. I want this. And it's not that anyone was necessarily better than the other, but it's like, what is best for us? And if we see that maybe across government, let's say hypothetically Microsoft Teams is being federated, well, doesn't that make sense for us to go towards team? Not just to say one's better than the other, but it makes sense collectively to do things that is cheaper, better, but also faster. So, you know, so that that's some of the things that I that I think about. The Customer Advisory Council, this is not just a CIO group. This seems to be bringing in whom? And do you meet weekly, monthly? What are some of the things you're trying to address? G- give me a sense. One of the things that we uh, I wanted to launch that and, and to kind of take, give some context here. You know, my focus area when I first came in was, you know, what is going to be your thing with when it comes to you know being a CIO? Where are you going to take us next? And I could, you know, talk about, hey, we're going to do cloud consolidation and all these specific, you know, AI, ZTA, and all those things are truly things that were incorporated. But what is the overall sort of umbrella that you're trying to do? And for me, it's always been customer service um, and service delivery. And, and that's what I talked to the secretary and deputy secretary about. That's where my passion's been. And they're like, yes, that's exactly what we want. You go with that. That sort of feeds into the presence management agenda and customer service. That's what we want. So when I saw that we had all these different forums, and they're at different levels, which is completely understandable. You know, I wanted to to make sure that we weren't doing IT to the staff. I wanted to make sure that we were doing IT with the staff. And in many cases, some of these senior executives, they'd have a lot of insight as to what was being done next. You know, were we doing a brand new modernization effort? And they're like, well, you just did it. And now it's going to impact my principal office in this way. So why, the reason I was standing that up three months ago was to say, let's let's work shoulder to shoulder let me provide you what the roadmap is for IT at this point. And let's talk about, let's have that discussion as to how that impacts your area. What does that look like financially for you? And what sort of you know wrinkles do we need to consider um, in incorporating into this effort so that we have a true consolidated way ahead that everyone cares about and can embrace? Because I've seen it done in the past. You know, you, you put this new solution in and it breaks something somewhere. And that's that's always going to happen to us degree. But if we can minimize that, that that's going to be key. And I've always said, you know, from a uh, IT perspective, I want it to be like a commodity. You know, this may be a little old school. I'm not sure, but you know, I want IT to be 
out of sight, out of mind. You get in the morning, you turn your computer on, it just works, right? If you turn your water on at home, it works. You turn your light on and it works. So the idea is for us to get with these senior executives across the board, which is from the different principal offices, they all have a representative. And we talked about everyone's mission and what we're trying to do. And then we collectively come to decision, which then feeds our other governance bodies from a financial perspective. And we start putting this connective tissue with all these boards to say, hey, look, we're, we're, we're all like, you know, in alignment, this makes sense. Um, let's move forward with all these possible considerations that we have to think about. Um, and so we meet all of us collectively on a quarterly basis, but we have set up subcommittees that meet on a regular basis to talk about, you know, how, what's the return to the office look like? You know, what, is, what are we doing from an IT standpoint, from a cultural perspective? What do we fo- need to focus our areas to make sure that this transition is as best as possible? Or, you know, hey, we want to do this new uh, cloud uh, solution strategy. Okay, so how do we get the best of breed to come in and make sure that we have all these various systems, whether they're financial, um, transactional, dissemination, and whatever the case may be, to make sure that we get you the best cloud service provider that makes sense for you? And also that it's, you're, not, you're not buying a mansion when all you really need is, is two bedrooms. So we like to look at all that stuff from a um, bandwidth and all that perspective. Generally speaking, the reaction, I imagine, has been fairly strong. Folks have, have seen the value in this, or do, have you had that kind of, oh, great, Luis, now another meeting you're getting me into? And I thought about that right away. You know, is this yet another meeting that people have to come to? But when I brought it up to the executives, um, when we have a monthly SES cadre meeting, initially it was like, great, we wa- I want to be part of that. And then I'm sure people thought, well, wait a minute, you know, do I really do that? Did I, did I respond to it quickly? And when I brought it to uh, the deputy, I mean, she loved it. And, you know, in the, in the first two meetings plus the subcommittee meetings, people really like it because now they feel they have a say or a better say and more of a say in some of these modernization efforts that IT is doing. Because now they can go back and say, hey, you know, I thought about our principal offices and elementary school education, for instance, and we know we have this particular initiative. And here's what IT is looking to do. it, And this is how it's going to make our lives easier so we can do more. Uh, with what was coming to make our lives easier than we can do our mission requirements. And so, you know, all these things, and, you know, now with the hybrid environment, how is the new technology going to help us? People are interested. I mean, I had a town hall in the first two months of my tenure as a CIO, which was on Valentine's Day, and we talked about all these things, and people wanted to know, what are we going to do, and how do I get an opportunity to talk at that? Now, can I get 4,000 people giving me a say? Uh, That's a little tough, right? But if we're able to filter that to their executives, it works because they're able to offer the day-to-day grind and what that looks like, feed it up. And then the, some of the executives have the, the, the other picture of it of collectively, what does this mean and how do we get that? So it, it has been embraced so far. It's going to be a maturing process and we're going to have to keep at it uh, consistently because it's going to be another, another meeting, um, which is why we made it quarterly, but also a cultural change. But I think the idea is once again, customer service um, and being shoulder to shoulder. Luis, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest today is Luis Lopez, the Education Department's Chief Information Officer. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Luis Lopez, the Education Department's Chief Information Officer. The key to FATAR, as we've seen over the years, is that it's not just a CIO led effort. And you mentioned that at the beginning of our conversation. So you mentioned the Customer Advisory Council, you mentioned some other councils. How are you also working with the financial office, the CFO? How are you working with the chief acquisition officer? Because those are two key partners really to make Fatara 
the, from a spirit and the intent of it, what Congress wanted to do at the beginning was really not just give the CIO a bigger seat at the table, but make sure that all the seats are taken by the, C, the CXO community that's driving the agency toward a collective IT environment that is successful, that is, is valuable, that, as you said, is, is even behind the scenes a bit. How do you work with the CFO, the, the chief acquisition officer? Where do they come into this discussion? The relationship that, that I have with them is wonderful because we've been together, working together for years. And, you know, our CFO, you know, we meet in boards and we talk about, you know, the crossover. And the great thing is that there is a lot of crossover between the three of us. And so when we look at it and we go, wait a minute, wait a minute, we can work collectively to make this better. So, you know, we have the uh, planning investment review working group where our CFO is there. And we talk about all the entire IT portfolio. We go through every single line item to figure out where is this going to go? Um, how much do we really need to, to invest in cybersecurity this year? We know that's always a critical thing. You know, how we continue to maintain uh, oversight and transparency of our portfolio. Um, and from an acquisition perspective, you know, we talk about our contracts. It's, you know, do we have opportunity for consolidation of contracts or rationalization? Because in some instances, you know, we may have a lot of different contracts, let's say for project management. Within, within IT, as an example, it's, it's can we consolidate that and make it maybe not that much cheaper, maybe somewhat comparable, but what about the overhead of all the cores that are on top of that, the contract representatives, the, the contract officer, just to make this a lot more um, efficient in the way we do things. We do have several instances of certain applications where one vendor may be, well, this is our proprietary for us. We can only use it. So maybe we can't do there, uh, but we're looking at all contracts to see how can we make this more efficient? How can we look at small businesses, women, small businesses and things like that? These are all things that I had discussions with them on that. You know, is, should we do, you know, contract owned contractor operating? Should we go government owned contractor operating? These are all things where every single contract's unique. There is a financial consideration that goes with it. But when the three of us speak together, you know, we do come up with a consolidated response and we work with all the you know, investment owners on what that looks like, um, how that's going to impact them, but then ultimately why that's a good decision for the department. But this what this Fatara score, as I mentioned earlier, and as you just alluded to, it, it has to be with the work of the of the three, you know, of the CXOs, in this case, the three of us. Uh, but there's more, you know, that that add to it. But it starts with us. And, and I think that relationship that's been going on for years, which is why you've seen that over the, you know, since uh, June of 17, the eight B's and the two A's have been there because that relationship has been there and fostered and grown by Walter and the team, by Stephen and the team. So it's just a matter of continuing to improve. And I, I think, and I think we're in that right place. You talk about contract rationalization or consolidation even. Are you looking at, when you look at your IT contracts, because education has been one of those agencies that were kind of far ahead of, of so many others when it came to that consolidation piece already, especially on the network side. Do you have an application rationalization strategy? Are you looking to say, how can we take, pick pick the vendor X that you have 10 different contracts for? Can we get down to one contract for vendor X that everyone can use? Have you started talking about those those things? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I'll use an example of, let's say our website uh, consolidation contract, right? Which I know kind of uh, bleeds into website consolidation, but it's the the overall kind of contract uh, conversation that we're having. So right now we have a big effort to get our ed.gov website, main website upgraded because it hasn't been done in over 20 years. And we, we want to get a website that is obviously kind of aligned to the 21st Century Idea Act, 
it's more personable. We're, we're aligning to like different personas, whether you're an educator, a student, whatever the case may be, um, to make sure that it's easier to align and get that customer service. Now, that being said, over the last 20 years, we've had a lot of folks say, you know what, I don't like the head.gov website. This is at the department. We want to go our own way. So we're going to go to contract A over here with this vendor. And so we call these sort of child site. So the problem with that is, is, you know, they're paying a different uh, pricing and it's usually more premium because it's smaller. So you're paying something that if we had consolidated all those together, we're probably getting a lot more buying power. And not only that, but we're also getting better governance, not just from the IT portfolio, but also the look and feel of that website. So that when the public goes to it, they're not going to ed.gov slash B and it looks a certain feel. You go to, you know, ed.gov R, it looks a different way. We want... You know, when you go to ed.gov, you go to one place, you find everything you need. So when you're uh, someone in your educational journey, you get what you need, you get that feel, and you're able to move forward. So that's something that we're, it's already in the works. And we're looking to have, you know, it's like a four-phase approach. We're already looking to complete phase two by June of 2024, and then go into uh, probably the FY24, maybe 25, to complete all four phases. But that's going to be a major win for the department not just from a contract consolidation perspective, uh, cost savings and avoidance, uh, but also what that output looks like for the American public when they come to our website and try to uh, you know, retrieve information that they may need. To be clear, because I know a lot of vendors do listen to my show, uh, this is a contract that sounds like it's already been awarded versus a new opportunity that's coming, or will it be a series of contracts with the next one coming in sometime in 2024? The first couple of phases that we're looking at have already been awarded. And so as we look to do the other ones, I mean, there may be some really all the child sites and bringing those back in. There may be some, you know, some redirects that we have to do, but that, that's still open in the air. That's still something we're discussing. But for at least the first couple of phases, yeah, th- those have been awarded. Um, but th- that's, that's a big one because we have, I would say, over 30, 40 sites that, that need to come back and, and find a centralized site. All right. Well, good news, because otherwise your phone, not that it doesn't already ring off the hook from uh, vendors, but that uh, if they think there's a new opportunity <laughs> for them, then then they'll get others. One last piece about Fatara, and then we're going to maybe talk about some other things that, that is on your agenda. You know, a lot of CIOs are still trying to push toward that A. There were three A's most probably in a long time or maybe even ever. Is there any specific advice you'd offer or when you meet with other CIOs, go to the CIO council, what would you tell other CIOs of how to kind of continue to raise their score the end result is not the A. We get that. But the A does reflect effort and a whole bunch of different pieces and parts that have to come together. I've thought about that question. You know, once we got the A, you know, just looking at past Vitara hearings when Jason's gone up uh, and testified, you know, you know, there's the question like, well, what are you doing and how can you help others out? And I would say, you know, the consistent thing that I've seen here over the last six and a half years, and maybe it's because we're a smaller uh, agency, um, but but still, I think it, it's, it's relative. It's what you had asked about earlier. It's that communication and that relationship with the CXO community. I think that is a very big key one. I think the other piece is, you know, the communication, the relationship with the deputy and the secretary has been uh, monumental for us. Um, getting that word out where, you know, the deputy, she'll come and ask me, where do you want me to speak? Do you want me to speak at a certain forum? And she'll go out there and she'll further foot stomp. Um, the idea. So when we meet with the assistant secretaries, you know, on a weekly basis, and I talk about Fatara, now people understand what it means. And when she speaks on, you know, after me or before me, um, people start to understand why why that's important. I think the other piece is just really explaining what Fatara is. Um, so what? Again, I, I've spent the last 11 months 
trying to just build on where we've been at. And I think people are starting to understand it better and why that means something. I, so I think that leadership support and just to understand, so what has, you know, and it sounds cliche. Uh, people can say, well, you know, we've tried that. Um, what are you doing? You know, are you getting some of the folks that, you know, have those loud voices that, and by that, I mean, you know, when I set up the customer advisory council, one of the things that I, I really focused on, who are the people that have been here that that really understand the lay of the land, right? The, the ones that, you know, when they walk into a room, people know like, hey, they, they've been around here. They know what's going on. You know, so I, I try to, to help out in those in those spaces, you know, understanding getting cybersecurity out there is a big one and getting the correct representation in these review boards that uh, deal with governance, right? So when we, you know, meet on a regular basis and what we, what I call the, the perwig that eventually feeds the IRB, which is where the investment review board with the deputy and myself uh, being the co-chairs, getting in those conversations, getting the right people to understand, to connect the dots between both of those versus, hey, I have money, spend it. No, it's, hey, here's my mission, so I need you to give me the money. If you're able to connect both dots of, of those, I think it goes a long way because now you have a holistic approach and understanding of what that looks like. And you're going to have to have those passionate conversations in those review boards and those governance boards. And it's not just a education thing. This is across government. We're going to have to make some tough decisions about we're going to have to sunset things, but you know, how do we mitigate those things? You know, if for some reason they say, you know, Lewis, you have to cut a million dollars this year, hypothetically. And I say, okay, we're going to cut, you know, 500 printers. We're going to cut 40% of our fleet. Well, what does that mean? You know, how much are we actually printing? Is that something that we probably should have done a year or two ago? Or, you know, where's the low hanging fruit from a consolidating two contracts? Can we do that right away? Uh, so I think, you know, having all those discussions, uh, the leadership support, the citizen secretary board is big. And then the CXO community is just instrumental and so massive um, because they help carry that word out with you. Luis, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest today is Luis Lopez, the Education Department's Chief Information Officer. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Luis Lopez, the Education Department's Chief Information Officer. Luis, we've talked a lot about Fatar. I appreciate the, the advice that maybe you could offer to some other agencies. Uh, Fatar is great. There's a lot around it, but let's talk about some of those other things you're trying to work on. What are some of your priorities that you're hoping to get done over the next six or nine months? So a couple of things. I mentioned the ed.gov effort. That, that's a big one, not only for a CIO for the department, but also for the, for the secretary and the deputy. You know, they really want that website to, to be 21st century idea, you know, meet the PMA, just so that all of our stakeholders out there in the public really enjoy that experience. The other piece, which is a little bit contract sensitive, but we are going through our new hosting environment. Uh, recompete. So that's the contract that hosts all of our systems. Um, I think when you spoke with Jason, probably about three, four years ago, you know, we had about, you know, 450 terabytes worth of data. You know, we've doubled in size in our system footprint. You know, we've added, you know, so many different components to it and modernized it. So, you know, that's going to be a massive effort. I think the last time we did it took about five months. It may be longer than that now. I, I'm not sure. So we're looking at that as a major effort from a cloud solution perspective to just provide the best of breed to our customer um, and just to make it easier and more scalable. So there's that one. And then that's continuing our ZTA effort. ZTA is a big one. I mean, just recently, you know, in the last two years, we received TMF dollars where, you know, we were able to implement SASE or at least our, our very first big phase of it, which is that always on encrypted connection. And what that does is, you know, you used to have to get on your laptop, you, you click the button and then it puts you in the VPN and may take a second or two, whatever, um, and may kick you off at some point. But now 
it's the moment you turn on your laptop, it's on the VPN right away. So we're a lot more secure. We're a lot faster. The customer loves it because I've heard the feedback. And, and not only that, you know, we've seen tickets drop with VPN, like people calling and saying, you know, what's going on with my VPN? But those have drastically, uh, you know, decreased. So that overall experience uh, in the ZTA space is a big one that we're looking to, to complete. And when I say complete, that's just the project piece of it. Then we know there's an overall program that's going to continue to move forward. And it's going to be, you know, you know a constant O&M sort of, sort of thing where, you know, we're going to keep modernizing it because the one thing I think about is, IT, and we talk about Fatara and governance, you know, IT is starting to move faster, a lot faster than governance. So we're trying to maintain, you think about AI, which is another one that I'm thinking about, you know, with the executive order being signed, you know, how we're going to introduce AI into our environment. You know, what are we going to do to govern that and, you know, allow folks to leverage that opportunity with AI because there's a huge passion for it. The appetite here, which I'm sure is like everywhere else, they want to get their hands on AI, but we want to make sure we're safe. So that's another initiative of mine. And last but not least, it's really just the the customer service that I spoke about. You know, a lot of times I get reports about how we're looking. You know, hey, you know, everything looks green. I've met all my SLAs. You know, people's cybersecurity numbers look great. Um, all the metrics look great. But in some cases, I will go out and talk to other principal offices and ask them, you know, how are things going? Because the way I see it, things are great. They're like, yes, it's great. But let me tell you why certain things are not so great in the IT uh, world. And so for me, it's getting that additional piece of just hearing from the customer what that looks like and putting that picture together and then taking it up to my leadership and to the principal office and the customer advisory council. It, it just just lets people know that we're listening. We're here for you because that's what I care about as well. Luis, so there's a lot going on. I want to go back to the hosting environment piece because I think that's going to be a lot of interest for a lot of people. I know there's some sensitivities around it, but where are you at with that process? Give me an update of what you can tell us. We have put an RFI out in the street just to kind of gauge based off our requirements where we're going towards to kind of build that strategy. We're defining that timeline now just because we want to make sure that we give ourselves enough transition. We look at you know the finance financial aspect of that as well. And so I'm, I'm looking to hopefully have a better feel of what that looks like in the next several months. And then we'll kind of, you know, basically take it out there and, you know, compete it and see where we land. But that's something that is a huge part of it. Um, when we did the pivot, recompete, you know, several years ago between this one and our integrator, which is, you know, the folks that do the the desktops and, and the workstations and all the end user services and core services. This one's right up there as one of the bigger ones. So this one's is going to take a huge effort and not just from OCIO because we have a lot of systems out there, as I mentioned. So it's going to take a concerted effort across the department to make sure that, you know, our financial systems and things like that are transitioned over and don't take any disruption, um, especially because of finances. You know, you look at the end of year activities. So it's got to be done at a very, very specific timeline to make sure um, we're in a good place. Okay. I know more is coming on that. I know folks can look out for it. And, and as you go through the acquisition strategy and decide what to do with the solicitation. I know there'll be a, probably a lot of interest in that. The other one I just want to touch upon is the ZTA effort. I know Stephen Hernandez, who's a, who's a terrific speaker out on the circuit, and he really always has a good story to tell. You mentioned the TMF dollars and to implement, you said, the first phase of SASE. Uh, should I expect that there'll be other phases of SASE? Or is this, when you talk about first phase, kind of like that's what the TMF dollars went for, and now you kind of grow from SASE with other ZTA-related capabilities? And so SASE was the first portion of it. And that was, as I mentioned, was just the, the maturation of getting the always-on encryption and ZTA protection services. The next thing that we're looking to implement in that strategy is the enterprise phishing resistant authentication. 
through PIV and certificate-based authentication. And what this does, the so what, it really gets us to a, a password-less authentication system, right? So you're not having to get a message on your phone for something and, and type that in. You know, we're looking to, to really use PIV authentication. And the other, but the piece of it that I think that's also very key, while that's one of the main portions of it, you know, it's also getting the systems into that phishing resistant, something that we're probably at the X percentage of our of our entire system, but you can see the the plan and the goal and, and timeline to get all of them completed. We're looking at, you know, the next, I would say, I won't give a timeline, but it's it's coming. And I'm very excited about that because I know from a national uh, security council um, and things like that, you know, that's something they're looking at. So we're, we're leading the charge in many ways from a ZTA standpoint. TMF has given us the money and we've met every single timeline that they provide to us. And if, as a matter of fact, I think we're ahead of the timelines that they provided us. So we're not completing that effort yet. We have SOAR and other components of ZTA as a whole that we're looking to accomplish. But we're not, we're not done just yet, but we're getting there. Luis, we're just about out of time. Before I let you go, uh, as I mentioned a couple of times, we know a lot of vendors do listen to my show. So I always like to ask the getaway question. What's your message to them? How do you want them to work with your office? I've really enjoyed being the Seattle Council and just hearing some of the same things that we're going through. Uh, collectively, right? We have AI coming up, you know, EIS that we've talked about. And and I think, you know, reaching out to us, uh, I think we have a good opportunity in education because we are a smaller organization that we can make things happen a little bit faster in certain cases, but we are going to face very similar situations and challenges, whether it's the technical piece of it, whether it's the, you know, the financial and or resources of staffing, you know, the retention and recruiting, things like that. So I ask that, you know, we continue to, to collaborate in that council and the CISO council and other forums. What I would love to do is to stand up an operational council. You talk about not really just necessarily the high level things, but how are you doing with PIV printing? Something as fundamental as that, or how are you doing with, you know, um, ICANN or things like that? You know, just the day-to-day operational things where we can collaborate between the equivalent of, you know, the director of operations across the board. I think that'll add just different and additional element of to how we can continue to collaborate better. Um, but, you know, we're, we're very, um, because we're a small group, we're always open um, to, to meeting and, you know, I, I'm happy to give out my email to, to, to the people that, that need it. Um, and so we can meet um, or, or a specific email, but I just, uh, I want to continue to collaborate and, and grow where we're going because I think we can all take lessons learned from each other. Luis, there's a lot more to talk about. I'm sure we didn't even get to talk about AI and the new memo, the 21st Century Idea Act. I know you mentioned that a few times, but uh, there's there's so much more. So first of all, I'd like to thank you for your time today. Luis Lopez is the Education Department's Chief Information Officer. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 